0: And because I'm a tall girl, I'm slim, you know, people are always like, oh, you should do modeling. I don't read as there's a problem, you know, to the outside. People can't understand or fathom.
1: Mary Adetaremo is a university graduate who studied architecture. She also has sickle cell disease. Due to health challenges, she has spent a lot of time in recovery as well as promoting and raising awareness for sickle cell disease. She is part of the B Positive Choir, whose message is about blood donations as well as sickle cell. The B Positive Choir was a finalist on a large program called Britain's Got Talent, which helps spread their message to a wider audience. Mary also has a YouTube channel where she speaks on different issues she faces with this genetically inherited
0: condition. So to
1: start with, tell me, what is sickle cell disease?
0: Um, So it's an inherited blood condition um, and most of the, uh, it's usually because the, um, the red blood cell is uh, usually a round shape. So most people's uh, red blood cells is round, but with sickle cell, uh, especially when you get dehydrated, when you, um, you when it gets cold, when it, and for other situations, stress, um, and sometimes just naturally, um, your blood, will, the red blood cell will turn to a sickle shape, which I usually described to people as a moon shape. Um, That's the best way for them to kind of understand what I'm talking about. Um, So in the blood vessels, those uh, moon shape, sickle red blood cells can end up getting clogged up in uh, blood vessels, um, which causes extreme pain. So that's my way of like describing it. I I mean, there's many different ways to describe it, um, but that's the easiest way (laughs) that I can.
1: Yeah. and it's it's a genetic condition right so it's caused by you inherited a mutation from both your father and your mother
0: yeah um, literally I try to emphasize to people that it's not something you can catch <laughs> it's honestly uh, something that you have to um, your parents it has to be in your bloodline so your parents one, um, they both have to have a specific gene. Um, so for my parents, um, my mom has the uh, sickle cell, so the full-blown, um, and then my dad has trait. And they didn't realize this um, at the time because education back then was limited. Uh, so they you know, had children. Um, and uh, my family is, uh, has sickle cell, so my two younger sisters plus me and my mom. Um, it's kind of like a family full of us
1: (laughs) are there just are there just three of you or do you also have other siblings who don't have sickle cell
0: um no just three girls i think after that my parents must have thought "Mm." (laughs) yeah it's just the three of us
1: okay hmm it's it's interesting that your mom has sickle cell disease too so when when she learned that you had sickle cell disease she probably already had a really good idea of what that would mean for you Is, is do you think that's right
0: um so that's an, you know sometimes it's a quite a tricky conversation to have with my mum um because you know for most families, the conventional family who ends up having a child or children with sickle cell, their um, parents wouldn't have actually had the uh, condition itself they would have probably been carriers of the condition um but with my mum she herself had it, so she knew about the pain but at the same time so there's two types of um well, there's mo- there's actually a few kind um, types of sickle cell, but the main ones are SC and SS. Um, so SC is uh, usually considered to be milder, but in true fact, it's not. But she had SC, so when she was growing up, she had pain, but she didn't have most of the complications with it. So she thought, mm, you know, even though she's had a child with it, Hopefully the child would, you know, be okay. You know, uh, our family's uh, quite religious, so I think that also came into effect. They thought that, you know, in all, in, with God's grace, things will still work out. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's, uh, I think our, once the my younger sister came along, she has SS, which is considered um, the more severe band, um, She, her, the things she had to deal with when she was growing up as a child, proved to be more than what my mum may have realised at the time, you know, of having children. I think, um, because education at the same time, I don't think, she, she had a great tenacity to think, oh no, it's going to be fine, Um, my children won't, I think she just hoped that we'd still have relatively um, good lives despite of the condition yeah she was optimistic very optimistic and so
1: your one of your younger sisters has the more severe form ss um and your other sister and you do you have the milder form or the more severe form
0: um so me and my middle sister um we both have sc um and uh the younger sister has ss um but when i emphasize i tried to say that you know uh the doctors kind of believe that sc is a milder form and SS is a more severe form but in true fact they both have their uh, severities um, so it's kind of tricky when uh, doctors or health professionals might think that SC can be mild when in truth f- in, o- in all honesty they react in different ways in the body but um, how do I describe yeah
1: like this that even yeah. even though it's doing something a little bit different with the blood cells and you would think it's more mild in terms of the symptoms and what people actually feel, it could be as severe. Is that right? So how old were you? You're the oldest. How old were you when your mother realized that you had sickle cell disease or when you were diagnosed?
0: Um, So she told me that uh, before I was born, they had already known that I was going to come out um, with the condition. Uh, so she had already known this at the time, but still I think, you know, optimism and thinking that the child, well, her child would still be fine, I think that still gave her hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she knew, she knew beforehand, I think they do a prenatal diagnosis. Okay. Yeah.
1: And, uh, at what point, how old were you when you were old enough to realize that you had sickle cell disease, that you had a condition that other kids maybe who you played with or went to school with, didn't most of them did not have?
0: Um, so the first time I fully realized was, I think I was probably like four or five and I was in a lot of agony. Um, I had a really bad pain in my leg and I remember my uncle, he's literally only like four years older than me, but the way our family is, he's technically my uncle. So um, he was over, I think, just playing with us or something, but I was in a lot of pain. And so he, my mum told him to rub my leg, um, keep rubbing my leg while she went to call the ambulance or call the, um, yeah, call the hospital mm-hmm. and to get someone to come and bring us to the hospital. So that was when I first noticed, you know, okay. I mean, I didn't even notice then. I just thought it was still something normal Um, and then I think what solidified it was you know you're having conversations with your friends and you're saying that oh you have a hospital appointment or oh, you in hospital Um, when you're young you have these conversations and they look at you like oh my gosh like what (laughs) like it's such a big deal but because it's such a norm that becomes your norm when they react differently it's even still tricky to um, I think, yeah, it took me a while, but I think it was just seeing the, the way people would react when I would talk about hospital appointments. Mm-hmm. I just think, okay, it's not a big deal, but because that's not something they generally have to deal with, <laughs> it, it did seem to be a big deal. Um, so it was the pain, rubbing my leg and in agony that time, plus, you know, conversations. As where yeah. I noticed, okay something's a bit different and plus constantly having to drink water (laughs) keeping warm all of that
1: Uh uh-huh just to try to manage it so that you don't have so many issues with it yeah what was it like for you to grow up with sickle cell disease um just thinking first when when you were younger you know four or five when you realized you had sickle cell disease and then through elementary school or as i think you call it in the uk primary school
0: so when i was younger i My parents were quite, um, they were quite involved in our care and a lot of things around my health Um, but at the same time they always wanted to emphasise that we shouldn't let anything stop us and that we should try and achieve what we could um, despite anything that was happening Um, and thank goodness while i was younger as well my health was actually quite calm um, and quite controlled this is a different story from my sister Um, but so while i was young and growing up i didn't have too many uh, flares or too many crises so uh, managing wasn't too bad Um, we'd still go to school um, I think you know they'll just emphasize that I should drink a lot um keep warm, if any time I have a bit of pain, you know they'll try to quickly um intervene to make sure that my health uh just didn't yeah they just quite to try to quickly intervene so while I was younger um things were relatively smooth um even in secondary school, I remember. We had this thing called the bleep test um It's when you have to keep running up and down the field, and the the beeps will get faster and faster um and I really wanted you know i was quite i wasn't I was quite competitive, so I really wanted to be part of it, and I really wanted to do my best. but it got to a point where I kept throwing up and it was obvious that you know it was starting to really affect my health generally, so we had to speak to the doctors. Um, so that's in terms of like intervention, speak to doctors, to speak to the school, to say, okay, she's not going to participate with this particular sport. Um, so, you know, I still tried, they still, you know, didn't mind us trying certain things. Um, but at the same time they were heavily involved, quite, um, um, heavily involved. And cause my mum's a pharmacist, she kind of knew a few things to like, uh, and keep things at bay but obviously this is a different story for my younger sister (laughs) it might come up a bit later Um, and that's
1: a different story for your younger sister who has the more severe form of cell disease
0: yeah so from when she was a child hers there was no there wasn't a great deal of being able to control it the way we my parents thought that they could with our mine and my middle sisters Um, from young it was you know, she had lots of hospital admissions, lots of hospital appointments, um, and so that, that in terms of, yeah, the, the you could see the drastic difference between our, ch- my childhood and her childhood, um, just in one family unit with this, with similar conditions. So, well, yeah. the same condition but different
1: yeah but hers hers being yeah more more severe where she had more effects even in childhood yeah yeah so in in your case you didn't have too many disruptions in school and as you were growing up but then as you've gotten older you have had a little more trouble um with sickle cell disease and managing the symptoms is that right
0: so i went to university um which wasn't too far from home, uh, but it was still like an hour and a half away. I live in London and grew up in London with my family, and then I decided to go to university, which was on the uh, outskirts, but a different city altogether, um, which is Kent. Um, So my first year of university wasn't too bad in terms of uh, pain management or sickle care. Um, I didn't really need to see any health professionals that much, but maybe in hindsight, I probably did. Um, but when it got to my second year of university, that's when uh, my health, in terms of controlling it, it just went out of the window. Um, I kept having hospital admissions, I kept having, having hospital flares, um, not hospital flares, health flares. Um, it just got to the point where uh, you know, my university were considering, well, they were advising me to defer the year and say that, you know, maybe you should come back the next year because you're not really um, living life as a normal student would. Um, But at the same time, in my mind, I just felt like I didn't want to spend another extra year. So um, I still kept trying to push through, but that's when I started to notice how... uh, Uh, that's when I started to notice that sickle cell cannot I thought at the prior that sickle cell wasn't too bad it was easy relatively to manage you know um, but just so many circumstances and issues started to happen where it showed me okay (laughs) this is actually a lot harder to control than I had imagined Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of so what I had when I have spoken to other people with the condition they have also expressed how Uh, some people will have a lot of issues when they're a child and in their childhood and then others, they won't have that much issues while they're in childhood but once they get to adulthood that's when a lot of their um, health starts to become problematic Um, so, yeah, it's seeing how the different different journeys can be Um, so mine was more so once I was getting a bit older that's when, yeah, my health kind of (laughs) was a bit... (laughs) wilder
1: (laughs) did you have a sickle cell crisis like in university or is that not really a meaningful is that a meaningful term a sickle cell crisis yeah
0: um so yeah it's definitely a meaningful term um so in in university um how do i describe what had happened was uh so first year wasn't too bad but second year was when i moved off campus into this house where um It was always cold the heating like the boiler kept breaking down i would have to walk quite a long distance to get to the campus um to do revision or to do go to lectures so all of these factors plus i you know i was living by myself so my food intake wasn't even high so all of these factors just greatly did affect my health to the point where the crisis um yes to the point where i would have crisis so i have extreme pain in either leg back or arms because that's where uh, my where i would receive the most kind of pains in terms of sickle cell crisis and then i remember uh, the first term of my second year of university when i had to get a hospital oh get an ambulance to pick me up to take me to the hospital so that was a very Different experience to like some that my friends on, on at university would have like even picking up the phone to be like oh I need to go to the hospital right now was quite um, it, it was it was it was quite uh, it was quite it was quite I don't know what word to use actually I'd say upsetting but there's a better word to use quite frustrating in a sense of like you just want to be living a relatively okay life you know you just want to study and have fun with your friends um but at the same time you know you it is what it is in a sense um and i'm sure people have had to experience worse things so yeah
1: (laughs) But it seems like, I mean, because your health had, because you have the milder form, and your health had generally been, like, pretty good and been manageable, it was, seems like it was probably quite a shock to get to university and have it be that severe and so disruptive to your life.
0: Yeah, Um, and I think it was, you know, when you're, uh, even though was I was, I could say it was an isolating um, situation, because, like, you're so disconnected from everyone so from family, from health professionals, from the institutions like the places that I knew and was used to so in terms of London the knowledge and understanding of sickle cell is way higher than you know in Canterbury, in Kent where once I got there they were asking me what type of care I needed or I mean In certain cases, I understand, but because I was relatively learning, it would have been nice to know someone you could have kind of... You you want
1: someone who's competent to take care of you. You shouldn't have to explain sickle cell disease to the person who's supposed to be taking care of you. Especially if you're in a pain crisis, that's like not the best time to be answering questions.
0: Um, So it was quite, uh, it was an interesting experience to say the least, Uh, eye-opening to show you how you know from one city to another even as close as they can be care can be so vastly different and even in hindsight when i talk to my doctors they can see how appropriate care is definitely needed um and how not great care can also add to like um you know other issues that could arise you know in life um but yeah it was it was (laughs) <laughs> eye opening
1: <laughs> did you end up taking any time off uh at university
0: all the time when i had to go to hospital so that would be the time i would it might be a week or two weeks where i'll be in hospital then i might spend an extra couple of days recuperating and then i'll be back to the campus or to my lectures to try and catch up or to ask my tutors if they were receptive <laughs> what help i could get um so in terms of like specific like chunks of time taken away no because i think at the time i was uh reacting to everything i i i think it's just not being equipped with knowing fully what to do. So I just felt like, no, I had to keep going, keep going. So there was just this thing that was like in me that was like, nope, doesn't matter, this is happening, just keep moving forward. And sometimes that's good, you know, having the tenacity, but then other times it's not so great because then you're not really dealing with or allowing your body to heal the way it needs to heal. Um, And then that can now be a compounding effect to the next crisis or the next pain or the next issue
1: that yeah right right like like not dealing adequately with one issue or letting yourself yeah. really recover makes you more likely to have other problems in the future and then everything gets more and more difficult meanwhile you're a full-time student yeah, <laughs> yeah. and when did you actually finish at university how long ago is that
0: so i finished 2014 um so that's, oh, that's Four years. (laughs) Feels like a lifetime ago now. Um, So I finished then and I did attempt to work post-university, but then um, health really just snowballed in the weirdest way to the point where it created... um, I started to have a chronic pain condition. Um, So that's why sometimes when I'm talking I might say health or pain flares, but. when I can refer it to it as sickle crisis it's just you know there's different ways of differentiating my pain <laughs> um uh-huh. so yeah our uh, post-university um was quite even interesting to say in terms of health and trying to manage you know young you wanted to find work you want to be living and socializing um but what i've seen is that a lot of my time is spent in health appointments or uh procedures or um resting and recuperating uh so
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah. even even for scheduling this this interview right like you had a you had a health appointment today is that right yeah
0: um so i this week i had a blood exchange um so monday i had to have blood taken um for the blood test, Tuesday I had to have the blood, no not Tuesday sorry, Wednesday I had the blood exchange which lasts about three, four hours um, and then also today was kind of just like a follow-up appointment just seeing my GP and sorting, oh general practitioners um, just go over a few pain-related conversations.
1: <laughs> hmm and the blood exchange that's a transfusion so that you have so that you get blood that is does not have that sickle shape is that
0: right Yeah. so most people people will donate blood thank goodness for those people in this world Um, but they will donate blood and then uh, I because I do well because I have sickle cell and actually me and my sister my younger sister we both go together so now that's like this thing that we end up just doing together Um, but we yeah, for sickle cell, it's just better to get rid of the, um, what's the, it's best It's best to get rid of the blood that isn't s- suitable, so the sickle blood, and then mm-hmm. to, um, so that's, take it's being taken out through one arm, and then uh, new blood, donated blood, is being put through into another arm, and this is all done on a, a machine, because sometimes you can do it manually, but that takes forever, and you don't get as much blood as well as you can end up having a lot of complications as iron overload Um, I'm not sure what the other complications are actually but iron overload I know that's very problematic but with um, the uh, with the automated the machine automated machine um, it's Mm -hmm. relatively quicker you have more units of blood taken out and put in and it's um it's just a smoother process, and the likelihood of iron overload is is reduced. So um, okay, that's I've been having that for maybe two and a half years now. Yeah, and I have uh-huh. it every month. Yeah,
1: and so every every month it's several hours for the transfusion, and then some checkups before and after. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of time out of your, out of your schedule devoted to that.
0: Yeah, um, I think I haven't, I feel like I still need to learn how to mentally be okay with this kind of lifestyle. I make jokes and say, oh, it's an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> um, but at the same time, it's. I think that's my way of coping with it, generally, um, and just saying that it's just part of a routine. Um, but sometimes it is, you know, it's quite frustrating when you go there and Thank goodness, oh, thank goodness the nurses that I do see are quite good in terms of putting I- injections in and out, but it's kind of frustrating when you do come across nurses and it's like they've tried three or f- three to seven times and it's kind of like in a painful like experience and you're like, oh, not this on top of the whole thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but generally- Is that where they have
1: trouble getting a good spot in your vein?
0: Yeah. And the notion is sometimes they believe that people with sickle cell don't have good veins Mm -hmm. um, because either uh, I don't know, say the veins. I don't know. uh, I'm not sure the technical reasons why, but I know they they believe a lot of people with sickle cell don't have good veins, and that's not fully true. Um, So it's that's I don't know. That's another conversation (laughs) today, actually
1: so currently you're not working then is that right
0: yeah I mean I'm doing voluntary stuff and I mentally I would love to be working like I feel like it does it's also another thing on my mind a lot like it's something I really want to be doing um, but at the same time I did whenever I, I tried to work in the past and I, I ran myself into the ground literally like um, it was as if I would travel Across London doing very long commutes and I'll be limping around London. I would um, Get to the workplace and I'd be very sick. I could feel it in like, you know, when you feel it in the core like you couldn't even explain you being sick, but You're just trying to get Mm. you're just trying to do the work or you you really want the opportunity I think it was yeah, I really wanted the opportunity. So I was um, doing that and then it got to a point where I I remember the one of the jobs where I had to leave, I ha- yeah, I left the job, no, I didn't leave the job, I paused for a bit because I was in hospital for a whole month in between working, but thank goodness the boss, I was only working for like, a solo practitioner, so uh, one man, and he was on holiday with his family at the time. So he was relatively understanding, but he said, you know, if you're not able to come back by a certain point, then you're gonna, we might have to find someone else. Um, so that happened with one job Um, I was still able to keep that but it didn't last long unfortunately and then I remember the second job well not the second job but another job where I ended up having to um, I was working and I remember I was limping around the office and I remember I was trying to pretend as if I was just walking slowly so I was just you know giving this this awe of like oh no there's nothing wrong. Um, but
1: really did you had a lot of pain in your legs? Yeah
0: extreme and it was um so I remember that day I had to call the main person up to come and meet me and then take myself to hospital that and that same evening so straight from the workplace to the hospital so I think after those experiences I felt that if I don't sort my, se- my health out you know what what real use can I be in a sense I don't know if that's the well yeah that's pretty much it I felt that I had to kind of look at my health a bit more Um, and your seems
1: like your health has to really take priority yeah
0: I mean people kept saying it like your health comes first your health comes first but you know (laughs) you're young and you're like no I just want to get on the like career ladder (laughs) so it felt I I feel like I'm not the only person though when it comes to sometimes you know you might put your health behind uh, you know wanting to achieve something or wanting to gain experience. So I know that's like a universal thing. Like I've seen people, some of my friends who don't have health conditions who, you know, would still push themselves through really um uncomfortable situations or uh, will still push themselves even if they're like having a really bad week or something like that. Right. Um, so I know some, well plus
1: and yeah. yeah, I mean like the like that phrase health comes first like pra- practically it's like health happens with everything else in life going on so even if it's important to make you know to to have health concerns not be ignored and especially in your case having sickle cell disease um, like optimally it's figuring out how do you manage that and have a job and everything else in life without those things falling apart when you have uh, a crisis related to sickle cell.
0: Yeah definitely and I think uh, that's why then I ended up Thank goodness I found a choir online, so something it's like I'm volunteering to do. um, But on social media, they popped up and said, Oh, does anyone want to join a sickle cell choir? And so, in regards to having something to occupy my mind and keep me a little bit social in a sense of not fully, because It gets to a point sometimes with the the health condition where the only people you're really seeing are your family and health professionals, Mm -hmm. and so um, you know, having doing work would be great, and then you'll be seeing a different set of people. Um, But having a choir where there are people with the same condition as you, but at the same time you're able to still have jokes and conversations and like sing and do relatively normal stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah it's it was kind of, it was kind of nice to um have something uh to look forward to but at the same time my health did still have to come first so there was a lot of um events that i had to turn down um and which upset me sometimes but you know you just have to look at it like what are you willing to put yourself through and that's
1: right
0: i think that's what um i have to try and start doing more now like seeing the pros and cons and then moving forward that way than just saying yes to everything.
1: <laughs> did you sing before? Like, have you sung in other choirs or was this uh, was this like a first time that you were being involved in, in a choir? So I
0: think it was just like mainly school um, where I did, yeah, just mainly school choirs or something. Yeah, mainly school choirs, so nothing major. Um, and even singing is something I did like doing sometimes, I just didn't really, and to, you know when you have a picture in your mind and you see your life in a certain way so it's, I would have never assumed or thought that this was going to happen so it was it's kind of it was it was a great change um, still something I'm mentally adjusting to but the choir ended up being relatively quite successful in terms of um, some of the different uh, events that we were able to promote the conversation of people donating blood as well as the conversation around sickle cell Um, because obviously there's a lot of people who have sickle cell and other conditions that need blood and we were also trying to emphasise people from um, black and ethnic minority backgrounds to do so as well seeing as you know the percentage is quite low it's like 1% to 3% of people in England donate from the black and ethnic minority backgrounds, which it's kind of a shame, but I think it's because, you know, if you're, when, when they're quite far removed or they don't realize how it can help people. Um, mm-hmm. So the choir being able to reach those different type of people and to reach people that are already donating,
1: I would think that if you're giving a performance and then you or someone from the choir, you know, like speaks up about you know the importance of donating blood. I'm just thinking for me, I've donated blood in the past, but I haven't in a while. And I always think, oh, there's other people who are donating blood or they don't really need me, or like you said, like I'm gonna get one of those nurses who's like terrible at like finding a good vein. And <laughs> but if if I if hearing the idea of hearing from someone like I need blood donations, we all need blood donations, that makes it much more personal. That's like very motivating to actually donate.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's what, um, because the NHS blood and transplant um, are kind of the driving force behind the choir and the driving force be- behind the um, advertisements and the videos and the filming and the pictures and stuff like that. It's kind of helps um having that organization pushing the choir because it's like um people are always tapping into the nhs anyway it's um people are like checking out the website so i think it would it would have it was good to have them as a, a, a organizing it and putting us in these different stages to have different conversations um and then also being able to mingle with people at these events as well for them to hear our stories or to um, connect um, with us, I, f- I think that definitely helps because it is it is kind of tricky when you are um, when you're not really seeing the benefits of something, or you just think, oh yeah, someone. I, I think it's, it is as you said, having that personal um, connection does just tap into people's um consciousness just ever so more slightly than maybe seeing a picture on a card or seeing some text written (laughs) i think it does help to be honest yeah
1: talking to you now i'm like i should see where the nearest place is to donate blood like where i'm living now i haven't lived for that long i was like oh i haven't done this in a long time and you know i just kind of assume they have enough for i would hear about it which isn't necessarily true at all
0: yeah sadly i think that's you know um I think people are trying to promote the conversation more, but yeah, I don't. Sometimes I wonder why it's tricky to get the information spread out quite far. Um, but I think it, it's, it's. I think sadly, it's those ones where uh, if someone close to you is dealing with something, then you're maybe a bit. You might be more into I think I'm making this up actually I don't know why <laughs> in terms of information getting out there
1: if you know someone who has sickle cell disease if you live with someone or if you have a close friend it's just you you're aware of it because it's top of mind and you interact with it and if if you don't it's kind of like out of out of sight out of mind you yes. focused on other things good, yeah and your your choir actually w- was a you was a finalist on Britain's Got Talent is that right yeah
0: yeah so um that was quite an interesting um experience. See so, so when i say health can get in the way so um this is an example but uh, the choir i remember the day that they were going to um audition for the Britain's Got Talent and you know uh i remember at that time i was very very unwell so i couldn't make the first auditions so from that moment they said that oh whoever hasn't been able to come to the first auditions can't perform on the stage and at that time it was as if you know you, you, it's a sad reality but you know if your health does get in the way then you're not able to sometimes continue with things like the way you would want it but the great thing about it was that the uh, choir still tried to get us tickets so we were always in the audience and we we're always cheering the choir on so um you know some of the choir members were on the stage and the rest of us were in the audience, you know, with the uh, other people and like cheering it on. So it was still relatively united. um, But that's an example of how health can really just you know play a major part um but yes they were on Britain's Got Talent um and they got to the finals it was such an amazing experience and you know hearing Simon Cow cheering us on and saying <laughs> that, you know we were one of the best acts that night it was that's awesome like, yeah
1: yeah do you uh is that is that online is there like a YouTube link that we could include in the show notes
0: yeah um I can send it to you um by uh, email afterwards um but yeah yeah um the B Positive awesome. Choir Funny enough, I haven't said it, but yeah, it's the Be Positive Choir, um, and it's funny because it's called Be Positive. It's like, people thought Be Positive in terms of blood, but it was like, Be Positive as like having a positive <laughs> outlook on life. So, it Is it supposed on. to be a
1: pun? I mean, it works both I ways. I think so,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was, because um, we were first on Mobos, which is um, the, uh, Mobos is the Music of Black Origin Awards or something like that. Mobos. I don't know what. Yeah, but so we were first on that and then afterwards putting in Scott Talent. So now we've just been doing like smaller gigs and stuff just to um, still promote the conversation. But most of the stuff is either on the NHS website, um, which is the National Health Service in the UK. I'm sure some people know this already. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. And speaking of the National Health Service, just in Just last May, there were new standards, released new standards for clinical care of adults with sickle cell disease that were published in the UK. And I know when I was looking, when I found you, I found you in conjunction with like an article talking about those new standards, um, and I think someone interviewing you because you were there um, for the official launch of those standards. So what, but I don't know much about what are those standards and how are they new or different from whatever existed? previously how important are they
0: um, so literally in terms of the standards um, so they had one ten years ago and I know my mom she was part of you know putting that one together so my mom's very active in like, the classical cell community in the UK um, so you know that's a whole ten years before having a new set of standards made um, so this was kind of uh, I'm hoping it was like obviously a major update, but even still, there's certain things that you know you can still add to it over time. I'm hoping that they will add these things, um, but it's just to kind of give um, health professionals a general guide of how to care for um, adults with sickle cell in the UK. Um, and I think uh, the great thing about it is, you know. I mean, I honestly don't know how many people would really fully go through the whole thing. But even if they have some awareness of it, then they're able to um, speak to the health professionals that they're interacting with and say, you know, this is the type of care I should be receiving. So it's kind of just there, plainly written and, you know, hopefully hopefully it's going to add a way to make life a little bit more easier or smooth and it's a general thing that everyone in the uk has to like adhere to Mm -hmm. um and so hopefully the experience i had you know having one kind of care in london where the care was you know good and then going to canterbury and having the health professionals not have a clue what sickle cell is or having a clue really on how to take care of me hopefully these standards you know will interject like um is the word i don't know interject but hopefully these standards will be able to um, help health professionals especially in more rural areas be able to look at it and um gain some knowledge in terms of caring for people that come to their towns or come to their cities because you know if a crisis happens and you're in another city you
1: you need you need people to be able to take care of you
0: yeah Yeah. yeah you just you don't want to be like because I'm known one of my friends who she goes to university in like up north um, in the Midlands middle of England a bit further up and whenever she has a crisis she doesn't stay there she says no I'm cu- I'm getting on a train and she'll take herself in agony on a train for like two hours plus to come back to London to get her care because she knows that no one there will know really fully what to do or how to take care of her. And
1: yeah.
0: It's a sad reality that that happens. So thank goodness this is here. And obviously things are not going to change in one second <laughs> or as quickly as you hope. But hopefully because it's here, it can be implemented, um, you know, a bit better in a, you know, in a sense. Um, so the standards, the, what I had went mainly um, because I was part of the choir and I'm part of like other groups. Um, in the sickle cell uh, community um we were just invited along to the uh UK parliament to kind of just have a general like meet up and mingling with other people to kind of hear their experiences see health professionals that have um been caring for patients and it was good to kind of just meet the different like patients health professionals you know um and having um, them
1: inters- uh, cross, uh, not inter- like cross- a inter. Uh, yeah. oh wait, I was going to say intersect, but not interact. Yeah, interact. interact. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So. That's awesome. So what? Um, I mean, with your experience receiving like sounds like quite good care in London, not such great care in in Kent, is there like outside of those standards that you know sound like very detailed? And like you said, most people won't read through them. Is there something that you feel like uh, you know, if doctors in general understood, one or two specific things about sickle cell disease they would do a lot better taking care of these patients if they were more aware or is it really much more complicated than that where they really need to have like quite a depth of knowledge and really access these guidelines to do a good job taking care of patients um
0: so i think they'll definitely have to have just the knowledge itself um, because i think sometimes the frustration is that you come you're constantly repeating your care and your story to p- health professionals. That's just a general thing, but sometimes there's certain things that you just shouldn't need to repeat um, in a sense. So if they have the knowledge, that will be great in a sense. Um, but I think for like more on a like personal, I would say personal, on a more, on a more uh, personal level, maybe I would just use that word. It's mm-hmm. kind of a thing where I feel that, you know, listening and showing empathy is always necessary. I noticed in London when one of, there was a new doctor who came, she's Dr. Emma, um, she came and whenever you're talking to her about your care, um, you know, you could see you could see that she was listening, you could see that she you know, she was trying to understand where you were coming from and seeing and then um, working with you to like help with your care, not imposing specific kind of care regimes on you. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So uh, more more collaborative.
0: Yes, more collaborative in, in a sense, that's I think always necessary. And to also take in the fact that everybody's health condition, everybody experienced the condition in a very different way, very drastically. You know, in our family, you know, there's three girls plus my mum and all of our stories are completely different and even the Cause sickle cell can cause other complications. So you know, I've had uh, chronic pain complications. My younger sister has had um, complications with her liver. My other sister has had complications with clotting. You know, all of we also have external. Well, we have other issues that have been created because of the sickle cell um, disease. So to also take that into into um, take that into consideration, um, you know, I, I find it. Ooh, how So I think, yeah, the whole collaborative thing is very necessary. And I, even in a sense of with the patient, but also with um, other care components or other uh, other care that they might need. So when I say that, it's like, you know, with me, if they're the doctor with um, who's looking after me for sickle cell would also be very in close communications, maybe hopefully with the person who deals with my chronic pain. Mm-hmm. So like information is, you know, easily... It's kind of tricky sometimes when you're just like going back and forth from different hospitals and having to repeat the same things and, you know, no one really fully knows what's
1: going on. I guess in that, I don't know if they use this term much in the UK, but in the US, like they, it's like either interdisciplinary or multidisciplinary is just like the, the term that's kind of like caught on, but it's just like. As in medicine people are kind of becoming more and more specialized and often expert in one particular area still lacks expertise in another area where it's yeah. like both are really necessary for the for for a patient to be to have um, to have like really best and comprehensive care did do they use that term in, in the UK like multidisciplinary
0: yeah they definitely use it um... I think because what's it? My mum wants to, because she's a pharmacist, so she really wants to be relative, um, quite involved in that. Because really and truthfully, it is it is very interesting, or I mean, they can learn a lot from each other. So I I know that in our hospital in London, they do have multi-disciplinary um, meetings called MDT. Yeah, multi-disciplinary <laughs> meetings. I'm not saying the word team meetings. Yeah, so they have that every Monday. But even in that regards, it's usually, um, actually, I, I don't really wanna to speak to it, but sometimes it's still kind of closed or I don't know if it's cause of like data protection or something, but information still going from one.
1: Like doctor to doctor, but not really looping in the patient.
0: Yeah, some of those things end up happening. So, um, but I think, you know, when I look at it, it's in, we're in a better place than we were, let's say, 20 years ago. So thank goodness for that. It's just hopefully moving forward, things can always still, you know, improve.
1: I wonder in the in the UK, when you when you meet people, like how how often, I mean, obviously when you're spending more time with your family and healthcare providers, they all know what sickle cell disease is, but when you've been in new jobs or at university, do you find that most people have heard of sickle cell disease and they, they know what it is or they have some vague idea of what it is or do you find that they've never even heard of it at all?
0: Uh, a lot of times, no one fully knows of it or if they do say they know of it, it's because of like some long-distant relative has it (laughs) and they probably don't actually know the major details to it which is understandable because there's like so many different conditions out there now Um, so I think it's most times I I look at it is if someone's willing to um, engage with me and to kind of hear how it affects me or um, was just opened in terms of conversation around health it's always easier because a lot of people just generally don't know what sickle cell is i remember even being part of the choir when i remember i was walking in the theater um, just before they were about to perform and there was a lady um, and she was saying, oh, what was sickle cell? And, you know, you want to chime in along the conversation, but at the same time, it's like, this is not my conversation, because I was like only hearing it because I was walking past. Um, so a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, I think because we we're on a, such a major platform that it helped to kind of push it out there. But still, I just think um, a lot of people still wouldn't fully know what it is or what it does or how it can affect someone's life Um, even yeah my doctor was trying to say this to me but I remember I was really down about the fact that I wasn't being able to work and I was like you know I have so many health appointments and she was like Mary if you had a different condition where then the names publicized more and you said to them oh you're just spending time to manage your health people wouldn't bat an eyelid they wouldn't even you know they would understand but around sickle cell even if you say it and you're like oh i'm not working people can't you know people can't understand or fathom they just think it's because it's an, also an invisible condition right it is just
1: people look at <clears throat> you and they say well what's what's wrong yeah. <laughs> like you look That's you look fine major
0: yeah and because i'm a tall girl i'm slim you know people are always like oh you should do modeling like if you have that perception like to the world where you look completely fine and you look completely healthy um it is quite difficult and for me i have um walking challenges but i know a lot of people with sickle cell that don't and i know quite a few people that do so if it wasn't because occasionally i might have a crutch that might show visually that there's something wrong you know on i don't read as there's a problem yeah you, know, to the you outside look like world. a young
1: young healthy beautiful girl
0: yeah. yeah so that's even even um dealing with that mentally sometimes is is quite tricky because it's like you're constantly having trying to prove to your employer or to prove to your university or prove to you know my younger sister you know the way she had to try and prove to them that she was like what she was dealing with was beyond anything you know that most of our family members have dealt with but to try and prove it to her school it's like she had to jump through so many loops and sometimes I just look at it as like I've got the hospital records to back me mm-hmm. so if sometimes you just don't even want to start arguing <laughs> or like stressing yourself so you just like look I'll give you my hospital records and they will speak for themselves right. um so and then
1: the sometimes. pain is the pain is the pain and the issues are kind of unpredictable when when they come up, right? So if they see that they're like, "Well, you were fine," and then you can't you can't really schedule when <laughs> when you're going to have yeah. these issues.
0: Yes, I think it would be great to know. Okay, this is going to be problematic like, a problematic day for me, or to know like, oh, okay, today I can do this, and then tomorrow, look, I won't be coming here. But sometimes it's like if you could schedule it like that I think it would be nicer and it would be okay it wouldn't be nicer because you still have to deal with the pain but at least you know kind of okay this is coming up but when you're just hit and you have responsibilities that's so why it's kind of I've, you know people that have major responsibilities and they have like health conditions I commend them because it's you know it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a tricky juggle to manage um, uh, yeah a tricky thing to juggle um, but you know, we're just hoping that the world is just a bit more receptive receptive to like invisible conditions. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I was interviewing someone recently with cystic fibrosis and she works for herself and she said that's that's one reason that she works for herself is just, you know, it's so hard to work for someone else when you don't know when these health issues are, are going to come up and you're going to have to take time off or do something differently.
0: And I think even for her I would love to know how she keeps motivated because I think it's also that's a huge factor it's like you have these ups and downs and it's like you want to stay motivated you want to stay positive you want to stay um energized yeah And you're like you have all of these internal conflicts um but yeah I think a lot of people um with um, health conditions or disabilities are starting to, thank goodness the world's becoming a bit more accessible because of technology. So um, they are starting to look at other avenues or other ways to interact with the world um, rather than actually physically having to be there.
1: Yeah, how have you found that, I mean, you're in your 20s, so, I mean, you've grown up with, with internet and cell phones aren't a new thing. Uh, for you in your life but how have you found that social media is that's bec- become a bigger thing um, in the past few years like how have you find that that's changed the dynamics around awareness of sickle cell disease or just communicating with with other people who have sickle cell disease
0: um, I think it's definitely helped because I remember when I was younger and um, I would physically have to get up and go to um, so support groups or physically have to go to events that were t- speaking on sickle cell and you know the winter times is the trickiest time <laughs> and then into to be adding you know the pressures of like commuting and trying to get to a place on top of like if you've got pain already you know having social media and having a place where you can still communicate different things you can get advice from people who are being in the same, not the same, or in a similar place you are at um, is definitely helpful because I'm part of a group on WhatsApp of girls who have sickle cell. um, And it's definitely helped me because I was even just talking to them recently. I sent a message into the group and I was like, look guys, I'm trying to do something with my medication. Obviously, you know, you still have to talk to your health professionals about things, but you do want to know, you do want to be able to talk to other girls or other people who have tried it and seen where their obstacles have been and if I didn't have social media I've just even realized this now like if I didn't have the social media I wouldn't have even known like I wouldn't have even I don't know how I would have figured it out you would literally just have to fully figure it out yourself and spend a lot of time distressed maybe like I spend a bit of time distressed now but mm-hmm. at least I have you know um, a place sometimes where I can uh feel that uh some people understand um so yeah social media was great in that regards you know social media has its downsides because you get people that will make certain comments um that are just so rude and so disrespectful to you know people suffering with um the condition Uh, so it's like finding that balance and knowing that yeah most people are rooting for you and rooting that you can have a decent life Mm -hmm. um but, yeah, I think it's also connecting into social media because i it's the knowledge that you're be you're connected can help, but if you don't even realize you're connected or if you don't try to connect, then you might still be as you still might feel as isolated as ever um right
1: and when when you like you mentioned when people make really rude comments where where do you think that comes from? do you think is that ignorance like they really is it do you think that's because it is an invisible condition where they're like there's nothing wrong with you people think you're making up the pain or
0: um I would say literally ignorance um for sure because I mean I don't know what else it would be like either you know maybe the old saying you know they're hurting so they want other people to hurt just as much as they are but I just I don't know if that's case I just think it's like they don't know and so they're just saying and I think even it's harder when it's people that you know you're really close to and they think they know but they really don't know the ins and out of the daily struggle that you live you know because um, a person can say I'm fine but because you're not physically seeing me and you're not physically seeing what I'm going through um, you will never fully know like you know uh so yeah for the people that are making horrible comments i just uh, I, I haven't a clue i think people will always there are some people that would just always be silly and
1: like what kind of what kind of comments do people do people make this is on like twitter or instagram people just make rude comments
0: yeah so thank goodness this one wasn't really to me but there was a one there's a person on social media who uh does music and tries to emphasise about sickle cell and tries to get people aware and tries to get the conversation into the public sphere. And then there was another person who came back and replied and, you know, made a comment as if why are you uh, trying to promote this condition, Oh, these people, all they do is complain, um, and then went to start saying some more horrible things. and. I didn't, no one could understand why they had done that. I think maybe they have their own personal issues or something, but because it was targeted to the sickle cell community and acting as if, you know, we shouldn't, um, as if people, us expressing ourselves isn't.
1: Isn't proper, it's like offending this person in some ways. Yeah. I guess, I I I mean, in some ways too, maybe this just fits into, You know there's just bullying on the internet and trolling and there's people who get some pleasure feeling of control over going around like saying random mean things whether it's whether it's to women or people with a health condition or yeah
0: maybe it's probably part of that hopefully (laughs) because You know, yeah. I know a lot of people that I was connected to at the time were kind of in an uproar, I and mean, it's some yeah. Social media is quite interesting to say the least, um, and I think it's just try not to tap into the negativity too much, yeah, because it can be daunting
1: you know you mentioned you spend a lot of time with your family and health like you obviously you have a good team of healthcare providers in London um, but what is your social support system like is that mostly your family and other friends who have sickle cell disease or sickle cell disease um, or who you meet online?
0: Um, so with the uh, social support network I would say that um, I, I had to definitely find some people online and for me because I do have a family full of Uh, individuals that have sickle cell so in my family and in my external family so my uncles and my cousins and one of my friends I'm able to actually not one of my friends a few of my uh, friends it's easy to kind of like bounce conversations around and talk about um, and find ways of you know managing Um, but it's also learning to be patient also with friends that don't have the condition Um, because it's like you you have to have a way of getting them to understand the kind of care that you need. Um, Mm -hmm. Not care you need, like just understand that um, sometimes there's a certain adjustments that might need to be made and then there's other times that you might be fine and being able to like have a great time with them.
1: So, kind of like ed- educating your friends so that they can provide the social support that you need because without you cluing them in, there's no way that they would know enough to really be able to do that.
0: Yeah, um, because a lot of the hard reality is, um, cause sickle cell is predominantly a black condition. I mean, there are people who are non-black with the condition, um, but predominantly, and even in our, cult, well, I don't know if it, even generally in terms of Talking about issues or talking about problems isn't something that we tend to usually do. So it's even being mm. opened or knowing that you know speaking about it isn't an issue because there was a taboo against it um, against the condition. So I think it's you know getting rid of the, t- the stigmas and the taboos and knowing that you can still be opened um, in a sense. Yeah. So I think I'm sure there's other conditions similar, but. Yeah, specifically for stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's interesting. Yeah, it's a it's most prevalent among people of African ancestry, and then for with what you're saying, it sounds like most prevalent within um, a certain culture, at least like African Africans uh, people of African ancestry in the UK, where you already have a culture where it's not really. N- super normal or accepted to open up about problems you're having, yeah. <laughs> but it's but so important with something like sickle cell disease if you're going to have people understand what what you're going through and sometimes you just do need help.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
1: are you? And are you? Do you live with your family now? Um,
0: yeah, I live um, living with my family. Um, um, there's lots of people that probably live independent. Um, you know. At, and not have their family as support um, but I think there was a point um, especially the last two years when I was just in and out of hospital like every month I was there for like three to four weeks and then I'd be out and then I'd go back again for like two to four weeks so that kept happening and it got to a point where I was just like living alone even though I really wanted to just I didn't know how that was going to happen.
1: Um, right. So, and I imagine, I mean, it's expensive to live on your own in, in London, even when you are working and when you when you can't work, then that's extra hard.
0: Definitely, like, so hard. So um, living with a family is definitely helpful. Um, and because they're like, they kind of get, you know, some of the uh, issues that I'm dealing with, so that helps, you know.
1: Do you, so, I mean, you mentioned that your mother... Um, knew before you were born that you would have sickle cell disease or sc disease and you know thought it wouldn't be maybe that severe and then she's more religious have you thought about if you were to have children and have prenatal diagnosis done like how would you feel about um testing for sickle cell disease um or do you worry about having a child with with sickle cell disease
0: so that was a perfect question actually um because you know in terms of like (laughs) testing I'm like such a main like that's something I just want to always like get out there um, because in terms of uh, I think the testing should come from before you're even like married or before you decide to have a child with someone so it's like you test your partners to check if they have the trait or they have Mm -hmm. um, the condition because that's I feel like that's literally the start like if you both have the gene it it just if you check it beforehand you can make educated decisions on whether you want to still go forward with things or you want to reevaluate um your decisions um so for mm-hmm. me like uh, i'm 25 so dating is still quite tricky in terms of having the conversation with guys and being like okay you're gonna need to go and get checked i haven't actually specifically said it to anyone but i am open enough to let them know that i do have sickle cell but i do need to i am like i i I will get to a point where i am will have to um i couldn't let things progress not couldn't but i i wouldn't be happy to let things progress if the person had the trait or had sickle cell because i see it as a thing where i have seen i mean we've still lived decent lives or being able to still go through the educational system and still you know strive for what we wanted but there still has been disruptions that if i could prevent my child from having i would definitely consider that um so but you know every person is quite different um with mm-hmm. their decisions um, so, I always just emphasize at least get checked, at least so you know and you're a sound mind, and then you can make educated decisions. Let's say if you do still go forward with it, you do know what kind of care you need to um, um, have around your child so they have the best possible um, experience that they can have. Um, because it's like it's harder when you're not fully sure, and then you're not, you can't, uh, and then you kind of have to just go and react to. What's happening with the health? Instead of being like fully proactive, with you know putting things in place, you can never uh, fully protect the child that does have the condition. Mm-hmm. But you can still try and you know um, make things a bit easier. So yeah, testing prenatal. Um, yeah, so for me, I think it's those ones where I would kind of I'm going to be asking the guy, especially if it's getting serious, to get checked beforehand before things like fully progress um and that's how i see it and yeah
1: and if so if you were seriously dating someone and he was tested and you found out that he also if that he had sickle cell trait um do you think that you would definitely not continue dating him or it's just something that you would you would want to know so you could have a discussion about what that would mean for you if you wanted to have children together at some point
0: that's yeah that's the big like that's the big question so like uh for um i do i'm actually going to need to ask the girls in the group again um but for me it's like some people say it's better to ask like after the like second third date or something but you can never be sure when to ask and then other people say oh just wait until it's serious that's like the the conversation around like when you should have these um yeah but for for me even sometimes for other people it's even difficult to let um their partner know that they do have sickle cell so you know each person is coming at it from a different perspective um, but if he did have the trait or he had sickle cell um it would it would make a huge this de- i would have to make a huge decision with them on like whether it even progresses forward if it does progress forward it would have to be like options around what type of like pregnancy would have like oh would it be a thing where we would have to now consider adoption or would you know i don't know if science has changed enough to the point where you can this is all hypothetical i don't know if this has happened but where you can remove the sickle gene and then still have a child but my thing is i i think i i would just prefer i mean life doesn't always work out the way you prefer but i think Mm -hmm. in any way that i can still kind of but i'm young as well so i'm only saying this from a like a a naive maybe mindset of like okay this is how because you know if it got to a point where you really want a child and only god knows but i think it would be a thing where hard conversations would need to be had and it would have to be a thing where i would have to be like look all right part my ways <laughs> i've never really <laughs> thought i've i've thought about it but i've never like made a concrete decision but i think i would be more on the way of like i might have to part my ways unless it was like deep love and i felt like i couldn't find anyone else and then i would have <laughs> to find ways of maybe adoption or something um
1: yeah 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 and I mean, the I mean, the carrier rate among, I'm used to saying African-Americans within the within the U.S., but people of African yeah. ancestry is around one in 10. Um, and then I think among people of Hispanic ancestry. Like more like one in forty, and more often uh, SC or it's more often HBC trait, and then you know even even less common among among Caucasians. So I don't I don't know if subconsciously that I'm sure you know those numbers. If subconsciously that motivates a little bit, like who you're interested in dating. <laughs> You know, you know, there's a different risk with with people yeah. of different backgrounds.
0: No, but that's cool to know, actually, because even having it in your subconscious, because it will come out one day. Like you just remember it, it'll be like, oh, let me check this up. And it, it, I think it, it helps. It is a, a daunting conversation to have because it's even harder when people choose to go forward, even though they know. You know, then there's a moral like issue as to whether it's whether you want to your child through it or not so I know my mum definitely struggles with that sometimes you know having the conversations with the general public or with people when they ask oh you know how many of your kids have sickle cell and when she says three then people are like astonished um, but I think it's about education because that was a major thing you know now we are being educated now the education is much more easily accessible Um, but even then you know life happens
1: yeah yeah i can't control everything well this has been a really great interview thank you so much for talking with me
0: check out a few of the other podcasts and it was even interesting to hear other people with different conditions and their stories and it all being around genetic If you'd
1: like to share your story, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. Gray Genetics provides independent telehealth genetic counseling services to most places in the U.S. and the world through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing. To book an appointment, visit graygenetics.com. If you enjoy listening to patient stories, please take two seconds to rate us on iTunes and consider taking 30 more seconds to leave us a review on iTunes. Those ratings and reviews really do help us to reach more people and to share your stories with a broader audience. You can also easily share any of our episodes through social media. You can find Gray Genetics on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast.
0: Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.